Okay. Great. Uh, thank you, Chris, for reading that to us this morning. Thank you, Niall, for leading us. Uh, if you do uh, have a copy of God's Word, could you please keep it open or keep it on at Revelation 18? Because we are going to walk through this chapter together, which deals with the demise and destruction of Babylon, its, its ultimate fall. Now, the fall of Babylon, and if you've been following the series, you, you may know this, but Babylon's fall and judgment has already been mentioned and referred to three times in Revelation up to this point. So if you go back four chapters to Revelation 14, oh, let me just put that on, to Revelation 14, don't think I'm working this morning in more ways than one. Uh, there we go, thanks, uh, Annie. Here's chapter 14, back four, four chapters. Another angel, a second followed, saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of her, the passion of her sexual immorality. Then when you come into chapter 16, the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine in the fury of his wrath. So there she goes again. And then last week, if you were here, uh, we read this from chapter 17, and the 10 horns, that were the 10 kings that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute, that's Babylon the great. They will make her desolate, they will make her naked, they will devour her flesh, they will burn her up with fire. So there she goes again. So Babylon has been on borrowed time for a while, but its ultimate end is now imminent it's on the horizon as we come to chapter 18. Now remember, Babylon is not one literal or particular place. It's a code word, so to speak, for any and every place or nation or empire or state or environment or culture that opposes God on his ways and his people. How is Babylon characterized? It's characterized by immorality, by idolatry, by excessive consumption, by greed, by oppression, by dark desires, by diabolical influences. And we'll get more of a sense of that today. And so for those who were reading this letter first time around in those seven churches in Asia Minor, Babylon was Rome. But before Rome, it was actual Babylon, or it was Tyre, or it was Nineveh, or it was Egypt. And after Rome, it has been any number of other nations and cultures and systems that draw people away from worshiping God and towards and further into sin. And so in a very real sense, that is where we are living today. We are in Babylon. In Revelation 17, Babylon is personified by or as a woman by a great prostitute, a great harlot, a great whore. Not great like God is great, but great in terms of her influence and her reach. If you were here last week, it said that peoples and nations and languages and uh, multitudes are subject to her seductive spell and powers. She's got great influence. And as we thought about last Sunday, and we'll touch again on this later, even Christians, or especially Christians, are on her radar. And I know that many of us last week admitted to, recognized, and confessed to feeling the effects of her seduction. We're regularly, as Christians, tempted to take a sip from her cup of immorality, 
lying, to love money, of idolatry, godless thoughts and desires, because Babylon is, as we quoted, an ever-present presence, reality and seductress that exists and entices in every age, in every generation. So no one, none of us here this morning are immune. But as I've said, her time is limited. And in Revelation 18, we read about Babylon's ultimate and total fall and destruction. And as we read about this this morning, as we kind of go walk through this together, we're also going to discover more about Babylon's attitude and her impact in the here and now. And therefore, as we read this, we can become wiser to her presence in our lives and her influence. Okay, so let's walk this through together. As I say, if you have a copy of God's Word in front of you, it's going to be really helpful this morning. So verse 1, John sees. Remember the question we've been asking right through this series, what did John see next? Well, what John sees next in verse 18 is another angel coming out of heaven. And this angel illuminates the whole earth and speaks or cries out in a mighty voice. And all of that underscores divine authorization. God is in this. God is all over this. God is present. God is powerful. God is communicating. Fallen Fallen is Babylon the Great. What a declaration. And the devastation, as we read on here, is complete and it's extensive. This place has now become a total ruin. It's become a dwelling place for demons. It's become a cage. It's become a prison for evil spirits. It's only now inhabited by wild animals. Again, the language is symbolic, but it's depicting total wipeout, destruction, wreckage, desolation. But then in verse 3, we discover why. Why the fall? Why such judgment on Babylon? Well, it's because this great prostitute has corrupted the whole world by seducing three key groups under her spell. So this is verse three. We read, all nations have taken a sip from her cup. They've had a belly full of her immorality. They are drunk on it. They are wasted on it. And let's be honest. This is the reality today. Sexual immorality increasingly characterizes the world that we live in. God's sexual ethic versus this world's is pulls apart. It's completely different. It's other than, it's at odds with. The nations are intoxicated on immorality. But it's not going to go on. It can't go on. It will not go on forever. Second group, the kings of the earth have slept with her. Many world and political leaders have had an illicit relationship with Babylon. Currently do. The values of this world as opposed to godly values, they have become the dominant principles and drivers in terms of governance and leadership. And we see that. We've seen that this week. We see that right across the globe. 
the third group. The merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of our luxurious living. This is where the world of business and commerce becomes driven by Babylon's inordinate desire for material wealth at whatever cost. It's where people are prepared to do anything and everything for more money and more power, where no restraint is shown, where the drive for access, excess and luxury is insatiable. And as I've said, although this chapter confirms the fall of Babylon, which lies ahead, in terms of right here and right now, we have this opportunity as we read this and engage with this to discover and to discern the warnings regarding the judgment of Babylon so that we, so that this world can avoid falling into her seductive trap before it's too late. Sexual immorality, ungodly leadership, corrupt, exploitive, greed-driven business and commerce are all markers in Babylon. And at this point, it's verse 4, another voice from heaven speaks. So it's not the mighty angel speaking now. It's a different voice. And it's a voice that is spoken three times already in Revelation, in chapter 10, and chapter, twice in chapter 10, and once in chapter 14. And that voice was either God the Father or God the Son. And what they say here now in chapter 18 is incredibly important because it is directed towards the people of God. This is spoken to the people of God in Rome, in Babylon, in the first century, and it's spoken to us in Babylon now in the 21st century. It's a specific instruction for us and to us, and here's what it is. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, or in another translation, come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you'll be punished with her. Now, this is not a command to physically move away or to escape from a particular area or place. No, this is a message to God's people to be separate, to be different, to be distinctive, to be holy, to keep spiritual distance from the ways of this world. This is about not entertaining immorality as the people of God. This is about not getting into bed with the culture. This is about not loving material wealth or lacking restraint. For first century Christians, as they read this, this was a relevant word. 20 centuries later, it's still so, some might argue, even more relevant because the temptation for us to conform to our surrounding culture is incredibly intense. And let's be honest, some of us, I speak in personally, have been seduced by what this world offers. And so I consistently take my eyes off Jesus and I allow my heart to be compromised. But how do you come out how do you come away from Babylon? How do you separate yourself from the corruption of this world so that you don't, to quote verse 4, so that you don't take part in her sins? How, do you do, how are you doing that? Do you retreat into a bubble, into a Christian ghetto or a holy huddle? Do you run towards monasticism or join an Amish community? I'm not so sure, although I'm not, I'm not knocking any of the above. 
But as Jesus prayed to his Father, my prayer is that you would not take them out of this world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. We live in this world. We have got to live in this world, but we've got to make sure we are not off this world. Departing from Babylon in our day means avoiding buying into the secular worldview. It means avoiding materialistic values and greed. It means avoiding sexual immorality, a pride, a you-do-you self-centered attitude. It's about being discerning regarding our involvement with the carriers of our culture in contemporary Babylon. It's about being discerning about our engagement with the mass media, the internet, popular entertainment. Who has been informing and forming you and I this week? Some of us find ourselves far too invested and influenced and shaped by this world and we need to pull back. We need to resist the pull of Babylon. We need to come away. Here's how the Apostle John spoke into this in his first letter. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, so here's the world defined, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's Babylon. Lust of the flesh, immorality, lust of the eyes, or desire, an insatiable desire for more. Pray to life, self at the center. But that comes not from the Father. That comes from the world. But I find myself, I find myself loving it far too much. And in terms of our discipleship and following Jesus and finishing well, this is critical because the battle for your heart and for your mind is real. And as this verse in Revelation spells out and clarifies, the stakes are pretty high. Come away, lest you take part in her sins and lest you share in her plagues. Ignore this warning and you may live or die to regret it. Come out. Maintain distance, Christian. And if you have been enticed again this week, take whatever steps are necessary to walk away, to stop, to turn around, to turn off, to seek help, to hit reroute. So back to the text. Because again, we discover the reason why Babylon is going to be judged so definitively. Look at verse 5. For her sins, different translations, one, her sins are piled up to the sky. Her wrongdoing, her godlessness is vast. It's comprehensive. It's immeasurable. And therefore, justice awaits. It has to. Verse 6, pay her back as she's paid others. In fact, let's take this further. It continues, pay her back double for her deeds. Do you know, as we read in verse 3, Babylon has led all the nations into idolatry and immorality and into greed. And as Jesus taught, and this is relevant here as we'll see later, but greater punishment awaits those who corrupt others. That's what Babylon's been doing. And so her retribution, her punishment is entirely appropriate. Or to quote verse 7, to the measure of her boasting and wantonness, repay her in torment and grief. 
you reap what you sow, and then some. The other striking aspect of Babylon's ultimate destruction is the speed of it. Did you look at verse 8? For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Her humiliation, her destruction will be sudden and swift. Her seductive powers have been active for generations and for centuries, but when her time is up, her destruction will be immediate. And if we need another reason for why is all this happening, look at verse 8. It's right there. For mighty is the Lord who has judged her. That's why this is happening. She's under the judgment of God. God is powerfully in control. God is front and center. And as judge of all the earth, including Babylon, he always does what is absolutely right. And so by the end of verse 8, I'm sure you picked this up as we read it, Babylon is no more. It's gone up in fire. And then we have, and this is, this is fascinating, then we have what appears to be like her funeral. Because the voice from heaven describes three responses to Babylon's destruction. We listen in, we hear as three groups of people lament her passing and her fall and her torment. Now, the reason these three groups lament is because they had profited from her. Babylon had lined their pockets, so to speak. They had got rich from her and out of her. And so now they weep and they mourn because of her demise. Their source of dirty money has gone. Their drinks dispenser of immorality and abominations has been turned off. Although what is also interesting is, look at verse 10, 15, and 17, because all three groups, although they lament, they lament from a distance. They stand back. They stand away from, they stand off. Why? Because they're scared of suffering the same fate. We have used her. We've benefited from her, but we do not want to be identified with her. It's too late. It's too late. And so first off, you've got the kings of the earth who, remember, slept with her, who enjoyed this illicit relationship with her. These are the ones who got off on the political power and the corruption that she provided. And so in verse 10, they're distraught. And so they cried, alas, alas, great city, Babylon the mighty. There's going to be no more sleaze. No. There's going to be no more shady deals, no more abuse of power, no more exploitation or oppression of others, no more corrupt practices, no more atrocities, no more cheating. Because Babylon, who promoted and fueled and entertained these actions at the very top of society, is gone. And so now, kings cry their eyes out. The second heartbroken group are the merchants and the traders, who again, as you read here, why the crown? Because they got rich from her. And in verses 12 and 13, the voice from heaven names all the goods that the rich craved and they bought from these merchants. And as you can see, the catalog of imports lists mainly luxury items rather than necessities. Plus the final category should catch our attention. And slaves, that is human souls. You see, Babylon doesn't care about human dignity. If people can be bought and sold for commercial purposes and gain, Babylon endorsed it. But now that she's gone, now that Babylon's been ruined, the merchants mourn. 
what they once loved but have now lost. Their source of wealth has gone. Business with Babylon is over. And the third group who are crestfallen, who throw dust on their heads as a sign of their grief, as it says here, are those in the shipping industry. But note again, why are they devastated? It says here, because they grew rich on the back of her. Now she's gone, so's our revenue stream. So this is a fascinating insight into the influence and power of Babylon. The grip that she has on people at all levels of our society. And so that's why today we see Babylon strut her stuff. We recognize her in our economic systems whenever, for example, advertising only appeals to greed or lust. It's Babylon. Or when immoral products and practices are bought and sold, drugs, pornography, guns, billion-pound industries feeding on Babylon. Or when people are trafficked all around the world or even within our own country. Or when the poor are exploited in sweatshops. Or when the crushing effects of unfair trade are ignored. Babylon. But one day, in a day, she will fall. In fact, it's going to be quicker than that. Because again, did you notice in verses 10, 17, and 19, it's actually going to happen in a single hour. And when she does fall, when she goes down, when she's led to waste, to use the language of the text, the devastation it's going to cause those who have benefited and profited from her dirty deeds done dirt cheap, they will lament. They will mourn. And they will be judged. Back to the text, because not everyone in Revelation 18 is in tears over Babylon's destruction. Verse 20 says this, rejoice over her heaven. You holy ones, rejoice. Apostles, rejoice. Prophets, rejoice. The inhabitants of heaven, the people of God, celebrate the demise of Babylon, the end of her reign of evil and injustice, of immorality and idolatry. They rejoice, and so they should, and so we will. Now, please note there is no hint or sense here of any kind of rejoicing over the personal fate of those in Babylon who fail to repent. Because as we know from God's Word, to quote Ezekiel 18, to quote 1 Timothy 2, God does not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. And in fact, he desires, 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, God desires everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The rejoicing in heaven is over Babylon's final fall. The certainty of Babylon's future destruction is now confirmed here towards the end of the chapter by a very powerful and dramatic act performed by a mighty angel. Don't know if it's the same mighty angel in verse 1, could be, not sure. But this mighty angel now picks up a stone, which is, quote, like a huge millstone, and hurls it into the sea and announces in verse 21 that Babylon will be thrown down with such force that it will never, ever be found again. You see, verses 2 to 20, by the way, 
speak of Babylon's destruction in the past tense. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Whereas verses 21 to 23 foretell that judgment in the future tense. So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. So Babylon has fallen, Rome has fallen, Tyre has fallen, Nazi Germany has fallen. So have countless others, but others have risen up to take their place. Babylon, remember, is the mother of prostitutes. There's more of them. And there have been and there will be many more. But one day, Babylon and all that she embodies will be thrown down for good and will be found no more. Time is up. Ultimate judgment will be served. And then, at that point, a brand new city. The city of God then comes to take center stage. And so one day, Babylon will sink like a huge millstone, never to be seen again. The end of all immorality. The end of all human traffic. The end of all idolatry. The end of all exploitation. The end of all corruption and so on and so on. And reference to that millstone, and I know some of you are already there. Reference to that millstone recalls Jesus' words about the fate of those who lead others into sin. It'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck. This is exactly what Babylon did. It leads... It has led people into sin and it has taken perverse pleasure in doing so. But one day, it'll never do so again. There's one final and quite sickening thought to finish about the ultimate and inevitable and imminent destruction of Babylon. Look at verse 24, because whenever she falls, whenever she goes down, in her, in her was found the blood of prophets and holy ones and all who've, been all who've been slain on the earth. Wow. You see, Babylon has literally and figuratively taken people's lives. She's a mass murderer. And therefore, her fate awaits the final and forever justice of God, and heaven, or rather, hell help her, but it won't and it can't. So let me finish by going back to that very explicit and direct word from God to each and every one of us who belongs to him, who follows the lamb, whose names are written in his book of life, come out of her, my people, come out of her, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. And so if any of us as Christians are getting cozy with the values of this self-centered, immoral, materialistic, idolatrous culture. If any of us have let greed and the love of money or an unrestrained desire for more get a grip on us, if any of us are being increasingly shaped by the godless voices in our society, if any of us are profiting in any way from evil and injustice, then come out, come away, Come back to God, lest you get caught up in the sins of this world, which is on borrowed time. I'm going to invite the guys to come back, and as they do that, they're going to lead us in praise the last 10 minutes or so. I'm just going to pray a prayer that I found this week in light of this chapter and this call to, specific call to Christians. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and if you're here this morning, and again, kind of the message is 
very much to see. No, please do stand. Don't leave these ones hanging. Uh, the message is kind of the same in some ways this morning, but if you're here and, and you need to come out and you need to come away, then please take the words of this prayer to heart. Please open our eyes, Lord. Do not let us be blinded by the seductive power and pleasure of Babylon. Show us where we're corrupt, cooperating with Babylonness or where we may be even supporting it. And grant us uncommon courage to obey your call to come out so that we may be a light in this city. We pray this in the strong name of the Lamb. Jesus was, is, is to come. Next week, there's going to be more rejoicing to hear following the judgment on the prostitute. Plus, we edge ever closer to final feasting. Even so, come Lord Jesus.